Hello and welcome to another episode of the Project Purple Podcast. I'm Dino Varelli, founder and CEO of Project Purple. And today we're back in the podcast studio in 2020 with someone who we recently met and connected via social media. It's crazy how social media has that power to connect people. But I've got John Giro. John, how are you? Welcome to the Project Purple good, Podcast. Good. good, glad to be here. And we're doing this... Uh, we, we've done this before, John. Uh, typically, we will use a, a landline or we we do it in person, but we're actually going, uh, this is new because I think we've done FaceTime before. Uh, we I don't think we've ever recorded a podcast via Instagram video, which is same thing as doing FaceTime. It's just through the Instagram app. So it's pretty cool that we're using the technology of social media to do this. That's great. Uh, John, thanks for being on the podcast. And just to give some of the backstory for our listeners at home, and we've got a pretty vast audience that listens to us. Um, we connected, you and I connected via social media uh, as you were posting uh, kind of your, your life uh, as you go through what we're going to talk about here a little bit. And you were kind enough to, to carve out some time to talk to us today about your life and what's going on and how that relates to this thing called uh, pancreatic disease or pancreatic cancer. Um, so with that, John, as we always do with our guests, uh, this gives our guests the opportunity to share with our audience a little bit about yourself, maybe uh, about your background. And, uh, you know, as I always tell our guests, you can share as little about your background or as much as your background or, or stay uh, 30,000 feet above the clouds, or you can go down to 5,000 feet and we'll take it from there. Life isn't my life is an open book. Whatever you whatever you want, whatever you need, you got it. I love it. I, well, we'll we'll probably we'll probably at some point get into whether you're a Giant fan, a Yankee fan, a Met fan, quite possibly a Jets oh, fan. Boy. <laughs> okay. All right. So, where do you want to start? You want to start with? Uh... Well, for our audience at home, why don't you talk a little bit about uh, just where you currently are right now? Like your life? Are you retired? What you're doing? Uh, just, and then we can kind of maybe go backwards a little bit in terms of, of what's going on, you know, medically for you. Okay. I can give you, I can kind of give you an overview of the medical if you'd like. Yeah. Um, but I, I mean, I'm a 58 year old contractor. It's getting long in the tooth. I'm starting to look for the exits because <laughs> the body's had it. Um, obviously on a few levels now with the, the diabetes, but, uh, I found out I was diabetic at age 47. I'm 58 now. Um, and I, I, I kind of, um, I may have been, I may have had an, a pancreas issue my entire life because in thinking back, as a kid, even in, for like a Cub Scout physical, they'd say, "Oh, he's fine. He can go." Um, the only thing is, his sugar's a little high, but the exercise will do him good. And that's that was like in the '60s, so something was probably up all the way back then. But I, nobody, you know, nobody thought anything of it. So then, uh, you know, go, I was an athlete in high school, and um, you know, I'm, I'm still trying that now. If you look at my uh, my Instagram page. Um, uh, and that's that's also to control sugar. But uh, you know, I, I you know I, I I got out of sports and I started gaining weight. And uh, you know, I said, oh, I'm getting older and slowing down and all that. And um, all of a sudden, it got to the point where I couldn't get up in the morning. I couldn't stay awake in the afternoon. And I said, oh, it's time to go to the doctor. <laughs> and the doctor says, well, you know, ten years ago you were pre-diabetic. Now you're diabetic. And I said, great. Uh, my weight ballooned from a high school weight of 220 to 275. Um, I've gotten it back down to 195 between diet and exercise, but I plateaued at 135, 140 for a long time until I, until I started hitting the, the gym and using a trainer. Uh, the trainer has been really instrumental in getting, getting the last 
that last chunk of weight off. I just I just sat it that way for a long time. That that thirty five four three five. Um, how I found out about the pancreatic cyst was I had a chronic pain on my left side, and I thought it was gastrointestinal. And they did a CT scan. They saw something on the pancreas, and they uh, they they rolled into uh, and they saw something on my lung, which we're not going to talk about, but it's no big deal. Um, so then we did an MRI, and they said, "Oh, you've got pancreatic cysts. We'd like to go in and uh, and do a biopsy." So the biopsy shows that they're not cancerous, but the number is high. You know, they, they, uh, the number was, you know, he, he's. I, I thought I was coming out of anesthesia, and I said, I, "I thought I heard you say I have 30 cysts," and he says, "No, I stopped counting at 30, John." He goes, "Your pancreas is loaded with cysts on the on the surface and throughout." So I'm actually going for another biopsy coming up this month sometime. Uh, I haven't rescheduled the exact date yet, but that's, that's on the books to do. Um, trying to think, what else What else can I tell you? You know, just diet and exercise. If you look at my Instagram page, that's, that's what I've been using to control the diabetes. I was on metformin for a while. I've taken myself off just because, like, I just tested my sugar, and I was at 95 before I started to eat uh, just now. And, and I think that's kind of key is to... Um, is monitor your sugar and and not eat until your sugar's down. I mean that's the quickest way to get get the numbers down. It's hard because your body's screaming for food and sugar and stuff to digest. But um, the, the the intermittent fasting thing that seems to be kind of almost a craze phase now. If you think about it, our grandparents ate at five o'clock in the afternoon and they didn't need to get until six seven o'clock in the morning. So they were doing it without even thinking about it, and they didn't have the issues that we have today. You know, we've got 2,000 calories on every corner, you know, whether it's a Burger King or it's a Quick Check or, you know, you can, there's, there's always, you know, there's always that. So I don't know, I don't know if that's a good enough start for you, but uh, if you have anything you want to ask or yeah, I've got some questions for you here. So I'm going to back it up a little bit. So growing up, you said you were pretty athletic. I mean, you played sports, so you never had an issue. I mean, I, I, let me let me start by saying this. Like I think hindsight's always twenty twenty, right? Like we can always look right. back and say, "Oh yeah, that was you know now I now that makes sense why I didn't feel right." But there was never anything that was like, you know, you weren't passing out, you didn't have like this chronic uh, fatigue no. or issues. I mean, it seems like you were very active growing up. So to to have a diagnosis of diabetes at 47 was probably somewhat of a shock, but you, you had said though, you had ballooned up quite a bit, right? So, uh, yeah, I was, I was, I was creeping up and I, that plateau level that I hit coming down, I also hit going up. I was at 235, 245 for a long time. And then I started to lose control and, and I couldn't stop it. It just kept, it, it just kept growing. I, and I had a bad habit of starting my mon- morning off with, um, with caffeine and sugar, you know, a, a Danish or two, yeah. and, and a cup of coffee, and that sets you up for a bad day to begin with. So I was I was aggravating it without knowing it. Again, just just using the sugar and the caffeine to you know for the jolt. Yeah, you know, I wasn't again wasn't cognitively thinking that. I was just doing it. Yeah, well, I, I think you know again, hindsight's always twenty twenty, right? And I think something that you had mentioned, you know, this intermittent fasting that our grandparents and our, you know, the, our ancestors had done years ago. I, I think nutritionally, you know, the food was different, right? Um, the Absolutely. food that was created forty years ago, let's say, 
uh, is a lot different than the food that we have in today's society. And I think to your point, you use the example of, you know, on every corner, you know, there's, uh, there's, you know, 2000 calorie meals, you know, readily accessible and relatively inexpensive for people to munch on or the temptation for people to, to munch on is there. So it's not an issue of, you know, access to that type of food. It's there. Um, it's more of, I think people have to have that, uh, real, internal fortitude to say, Hey, I'm not going to have McDonald's. I'm not going to have Kentucky fried chicken. I'm not going to have that Taco Bell burrito or those Taco Bell nachos that I saw the commercial for last night during the ball game, you know, now that, you know, and, and and naturally, you know, there's, there's some fancy marketing that goes on that wasn't available, you know, 30 years ago. So it's, it's easy. I think maybe it was a little bit easier for our ancestors because they didn't have access uh, or they didn't have these types of, uh, restaurants and and the marketing going after them like they do today which i think is very difficult i mean i travel a ton and i think it's it's you have to be very conscious about eating smart when you travel because the temptation to just grab a like you said grab a danish or grab you know a breakfast burrito is so easy that's you know three thousand calories right there in breakfast yep and that that, that just sets that just sets your body up in 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 such you know, for disaster, it just does. You start if you have any candida in, in, in your in your intestinal tract, it'll just it just fires it up, and then then it, it it it's like it asks for more once the sugar's gone, and it, and you just get into a cycle. It's staying away from sugar and carbs is crucial. Um, my diet consists pretty much of a meat and, and and some sort of proteins, um, vegetables and fruit, and uh, I've replaced ice cream with like frozen fruit. Um, you know, the, the bags you get out of the you know, freezer section of the, of the grocery store. I do not eat processed food. I just don't anymore. Um, I, I, you know, my, my, I wish my wife was on board, but she's not. So I have to, I have to still get by the refrigerator when she's got a half a gallon of ice cream in there. But the, the, the pain and, the, you know, and, and the setup for the next day, if I have ice cream before bed, forget it. It's just, it's just not worth it anymore. I've gotten to the point where my body just, let, just lets me have it. So that's, Probably a good thing, and you know, as much as it's painful, it just kind of it, it makes you not eat the wrong things because you know that you're going to pay the price. Yeah. Now, did you staying with kind of the the tr- the track here? So you were diagnosed diabetic at 47. So did that was really kind of the impetus to change this lifestyle, John? At that at that point, or were there were you oh, doing yeah. some things I, before? I, I, yeah. I had a type one diabetic friend who died at 29 and they whittled him away like cordwood. So when they told me I was diabetic, I freaked out. I mean, I dropped the first 40 pounds in a heartbeat. I mean, I, I dropped those first 40 pounds in probably six months just because just out of sheer fear. Uh, just by changing your lifestyle or diet or both? Diet and the metformin, um, okay. you know, uh, but again, it's been chronic diet changes. I mean, things that you would think wouldn't spike your sugar do like peanut butter peanut butter spikes my blood sugar because of the because the fact that it's organic uh, big organic stuff that's ground up is probably not the same as like skippy or jiff or any of the yeah. same you know any, or, or your store brand it's the oils in it that and everything is broken down to the point where your body can can just turn it into sugar too quick um and that's just me maybe maybe other people can get away with peanut butter that's off the store you know that that's brand name and that kind of stuff but i can't and I've learned that just by testing. You know, you, you, you eat it and you're like, why is my sugar? What are they different? You know? Yeah. Um, 
You know, so I, I, again, after 11 years of this, you, you kind of get to know what you can get away with and what you can't. Yeah, a little bit by trial by error, right? Like kind of figuring oh, out. Oh, yeah. Uh, but I'm sure that's yep. kind of somewhat frustrating over 11 years to try to still, I, I, I'm sure with some of the foods and the changes I know from talking to people, you know, we just mentioned before about what our ancestors had, but I know even like peanut butter, I know for a fact, like cereal, not that we're advocating for anyone to eat cereal, but I know uh, that cereal, like the formula for Cheerios has changed dramatically from where it was 10 years ago. Oh yeah. You know, so Absolutely. and that's where we, we, you know. I guess if there's people listening, um, when we talk about nutrition, I think it's really critical to understand what you are ingesting in terms of ingredients and how that affects your body. And, and a lot of that is trial by error, like you've said, but, um, it also, I would imagine be somewhat frustrating because, um, with those changes, uh, potentially, um, you know, could affect the way you feel, as you said, like with ice cream and stuff like that. So it's, it's gotta be very frustrating. I would imagine, um, you know, making sure that what you are ingesting truly is what it is saying on, on label or on the back of the label, you know? Yeah. Well, again, anything that has an ingredient that I don't know, you know, that, that came out of a laboratory, I just, I just won't eat it. My right. wife will open up a box of like, well, for New Year's Eve or hors and that kind of stuff. Yeah. And I'm like, but, but this, God, you learn so much. Like, um, anything that, that, that is not, that your body doesn't recognize as food is a lot of times is not eliminated. It can be encapsulated in fat and, and stuck around your internal organs. It doesn't know what to do with it, but that's its way of protecting your, your, you know, your most important organs. And then when we're running around with belly fat and we wonder why, well, it, a lot of it is the fact that our bodies don't know what to do with some of the things that, you know, that the, maybe the FDA says is okay to put in, you know, your, your French fries that you get out of the, the frozen food. Because you know, there's, there's, there's all the sprays and stuff that go on. I just, I just stay away from it. You know, if I'm going to have a potato, well, even though I shouldn't, I have a potato. I mean, you know, I can get away with a sweet potato here and there. Um, you know, but it'll be a sweet potato. It won't be curly fries out of a fryer, you know, at the somewhere. <laughs> just yeah. not. Well, it's a, it's a sacrifice of, of being healthy though, you know, and feeling really good. Um, I wanted to fast forward. Now you said you, uh, you, you get diagnosed with diabetes and is that a type two diabetes, John? Yes. Okay. So type yes. two, because I know that there's, um, you know, recently, and I say recently, you know, for listeners at home may have heard this on our previous podcast, if they listen to our podcast, we've had some doctors and clinicians on and, you know, there's this new subset of uh, diabetics. And I don't know if you've heard of this, John, uh, maybe you have, maybe you haven't, but it's called type three diabetes. And what that yeah. is, is, not heard of that. yeah, so it, it's kind of fascinating over the last couple of years. It's late onset, so people who um, are over 40 um, that have never had an issue, uh, but for whatever reason, get diabetes. And the other caveat is there's typically not a weight issue involved. So these are people that are relatively in good shape, um, you know, don't necessarily have a high BMI, uh, which, you know, investigators and researchers and clinicians usually look at, um, but for some reason get diabetes, uh, late in life. Um, some people do have higher BMIs and sometimes, you know, that can be controlled naturally with weight control. And, and, you know, I know I've talked to people, friends that have, you know, become diabetic and just have changed. Like you said, you, you make some really 
major lifestyle changes to to get your life back in order or you know your diet back in order and then come off medications and then eventually some of them do come off being diabetic uh, but there's this this new onset or I should say new new classification uh, which they're, they're calling like type 3 diabetics so you get that at 47 and then when does the pain start to begin? Because you said you had that chronic pain and it was just kind of this. You know, the funny thing about the pain is that I probably had it for 15 years. It never would completely go away. Hmm. Most of the time it was in the background. It wasn't too bad. It didn't annoy me. Uh, and then it started, to, it started to get worse. It would flare up and get, it ended up being something that my chiropractor got rid of. Um, it was a nerve. Um, and that's, and unfortunately that was, well, fortunately or unfortunately, that was what got me to go for the CT scan because I thought I had an intestinal problem because the pain would actually wrap around my left side and kind of sometimes would head towards the groin. I'm going, what the heck is up with this? And I was having digestive issues to go, you know, that, that kind of will go along with having a messed up pancreas. Um, so yeah, that, that it, it was kind of a... It was a fluke. It was. It, it was just. I, again, I don't know if it was a lucky thing or not. I mean, I always. I always tell people my the warning shot across my bow was at forty seven. Um, I was in trouble. I was going to check out on my family early if I had kept doing what I was yeah. doing. I just. I knew it. Um, you know, my and I. You know, I. I my family still needs me. I hear, even though I'm fifty eight, my kids are raised. They're. They're still around. <laughs> yeah. You know, they're, they're doing the boomerang right now. They're coming back. Oh yeah, that's that's typically what happens. So the, this pain, though, and I want to talk about this. You just said this really fascinating thing. So it's been this kind of on and off. Would you say it was like an on and off pain over fifteen years? And, and with that, no, it, it it was always there. It really never, uh, you know, it, it never would go away. But what happened was I ended up having an. I don't know why I ended up going to the chiropractor more often than I normally do. I used to only go when I was in, in crisis. You know, I'd go and he'd straighten it out and I'd be fine. And I said, you know, this isn't going away. So we started to set up, you know, go come every every two weeks or whatever it was or every week. I forget in the beginning. So did you think, and, John, uh, I got a question for you here. Just jump in here real quick. So being a contractor, did you think like, hey, it's something I did at work. My back's out of whack. And oh, yeah. I'll just get Absolutely. adjusted. So it was, was it stemming from like you said, the left side. So I just, for our audience listening at home, just so that everyone understands, because I think that the pain factor is so vague and I know some people say, oh, it's, it was like a flutter. Other people say it was like, you know, like I had like a disc, you know, that was out of whack in my lower back. And other people said, you know, it's like this massive abdominal pain. Like, you know, you did abs for like two days straight. So was the pain on your left side in your back or, and you said, you mentioned it went down to your groin. So it's almost a little bit. Well, it, 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 it wrapped around, it wrapped around my midsection, right around where the love handles would be. And yeah. then it would, it would dive towards the groin. Huh. And, and again, I've got two herniated discs. I mean, I, yeah. after, you can't be a contractor your entire life without screwing yeah. up somewhere. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I, I've got my war wounds. You know, I almost severed a finger the whole bit. Yeah. Um, you know, um, but the pain, it, I don't know. Again, it, was a, it seemed like it was, there was a gastrointestinal component to it. And again, you're doing it, you know, I've got nothing but my feelings to go by. Yeah. And I, and I, and I know that the, that the, the, the small intestine and large intestine kind of, you know, would, would cause, if there was something going on there, you know, I've had a colonoscopy, I've got diverticulosis, not lightest, which is pockets, I think in the large intestine. Um, and again, I don't know how severe 
here it is. Um, Well, I'm not, I swear I'm not. I swear I hold my hand up. I'm not a hypochondriac. No, but I, I, I was always the tough guy, and now all of a sudden it's like, what the heck is happening to me? Well, statistically, as you get older, I mean, I'm not trying to be disrespectful here, John, and I'm sure you know this. As you get older, no. you know, naturally, disease, you know, is part of uh, life. You know, I, I think I saw a statistic. You know, if you live to age 80, the odds of you um, having a cancer or heart disease are like, you know, 90%, you know, that like by age 80, you know, if you haven't been sick, you know, the odds are pretty stacked against you that, you know, the next five years or life beyond age 80 is going to, you know, you're going to have some form of illness. Um, and, and, And a lot of that, I think, honestly, you know, as lifestyle and diet, you know, now it's just like, as we said, you know, like what people are ingesting plays a big part in, in what's going on. So, um, I, I think, you know, it's, it's something, you know, naturally as you get older back on point, you know, you are going to have ailments and you're going to have, uh, you know, illnesses that, that creep in there. But I think the one thing, and I, and I, I heard you say this just now is that you knew something was up and something didn't feel right, like, you know, GI wise. And I think that's the most important thing, I think, for listeners at home. And, and we've talked to a lot of people that have gone down, you know, the road of uh, not feeling well, knowing something's not right. And unfortunately, you have to advocate for yourself, right? And, you know, that's oh, yeah. like you have to be your own. You, you, I just had to manage three doctors, <laughs> you know, for blood work and what I'm setting up this month. And they don't talk to each other. No. And they're in the same. You know, it's a place called Summit Medical Group, and they're all in the same group. You would think that they would look at each other's stuff and what, you know, but I have to remind them, I said, you know, of what, what each other's doing and, and what each other has discovered. So I've got to, thank God they've got this thing called a patient portal where, where you can look at, you know, your test results and stuff. And if I got a question, I go online. I don't know what this means. So you go online and you, you try to figure out what, what, what this result means. And, you know, they, it's really kind of sad that, that, that everyone is such a specialist and they, they don't look at the whole picture. You know, so you've got to, you've got to do that for yourself. And you, you may have to relay it to, if you're dealing with more than one doctor, you may have to relay it to, to the other doctor, you know, one from one doctor to another or say, Hey, look, you got to look at this result. You know? Yeah. I, I think we, we live in a great country where we have access to really good systems doctors, physicians, clinicians, but it's also frustrating in the fact that we have to be our biggest advocates, right? Because no one gives you anything. And like you said, a lot of times uh, the left is not talking to the right. And sometimes you really have to push people to come together, unfortunately, um, you know, in, in today's system here in the United States, it's unfortunate. And, and I think, you know, and, and I'm not trying to beat up on the United States. I think that happens in other countries as well in terms of clinicians not necessarily talking to each other. Um, and I think what happens, I guess, people just get siloed, you know, and, and sometimes they don't think necessarily outside of the box to figure out how to communicate. I know there's some systems that try to do it better than others. And, you know, unfortunately, it's it, we don't have universal health care in the United States, so it's not, you know, what what's great at one facility is not brought across the broad spectrum of medical care. Um, so it's frustrating. Going back to your pain, though, John, so this, this pain was kind of going on for quite some time. And then what was kind of the, the, I guess, the tipping point to say, all right, I got I to gotta have the CT. Was it more of just the duration or was it more just like it just got so painful? The intensity. Yeah. It, it, the intensity 
density went up. It, it kind of it kind of spiked at the time I went for that CT scan and and um, the frequency. I mean, for most of the time in the background, it wasn't debilitating. I was able to go to work. You say, okay, I'm getting older, whatever, you know, and you just kind of live with it. And then it was getting to the point where. I was wondering, you know, is it food? Did it seem, you know, sometimes it seemed like fatty foods. Again, that would be a pancreas thing. Might have spiked it. And so I, I you know, or, and again, my digestion's always been a little off. I've never been one of those great regular people. God bless you if you are. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, you know, I, 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 you know, it just got to the point where I needed, I needed something checked. Um, and, and I just figured GI was where it was. Um, you know, if it wasn't, you know, I, I never thought it was probably a pinched nerve that had just gotten worse over time. You know, there's something in my back. You know, but I'm a tile guy, so I'm used to lifting cement and tile and, you know, carrying it up flights of stairs and all that kind of stuff. So, again, it's just a lot of, I, I thought it was just wear and tear, but, you know, which is what it ended up being. Well, I think, you know, as I said before, you know your body best. And I, I, I can't stress this more uh, because I think we've had so many people on this podcast that have become their biggest advocates. And that's yeah. how they that's how they found out that something's not right. You know, and I, I think it's it's easy, I think, with the way that society in the United States is to say, hey, I'm a contractor. I lifted cement it's probably just that, right? Um, it's easy to just say that. And it's just wear and tear over, you know, 40 or 30 something years of, of being on the job. But, you know, I, I, if something's not right, go go get it checked out. So you go get checked out, they do the CT scan, and then they come back and tell you like, hey, your pancreas is loaded with these cysts. Um, now I assume from hearing you speak, they probably did a, like a, they call an FNA, like a fine needle aspiration where they go in, uh, for our listeners at home, it's, it's through an EUS. Um, so you're unconscious and then they, they kind of needle biopsy, basically those cysts yeah. to, to pull out. The they yeah. They take the out the cyst fluid. Yep. So the cyst fluid has been negative in terms of any cancerous cells or anything along those lines from what they've so far. So, far. so when was that, uh, when was that done, John? Time uh, a year ago. The first time was a year ago. This will be this was twelve months, you know, and one and two MRIs. So the second MRI showed no change really in the cysts. Um, uh, you know, and and again, you know, I do other things that I, I hope are are going to mitigate the cyst thing because I asked them, you know, wh when wh where do they come from? How come I have them? We don't know. Yeah. I say, well, can I get rid of them? No. <laughs> I said, so why are we doing any of this? Uh, well, if, if they become cancerous, then we're going to do something. Um, so they really don't want to, they, they don't really want to operate on your pancreas unless they have to. And I guess right. that makes sense, consider where it is. And you, again, you start doing your research and you say, oh gosh, you know, this is, this, you know, God gave us two kidneys. I don't know why he only gave us one pancreas because I like, probably could have used the second one. Sure. Um, you know, uh, it, it's, it's kind of frustrating, you know, I went to Purdue University. I had ag students and, and veterinary student friends, and they were messing around, you know, with, with diabetes and, and, and all the stuff that, that goes along with the pancreas. Back, you know, that was 35 years ago already. And I feel like they, I feel like for some reason they really haven't made a whole lot of progress. And I don't know why. I, 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 you know, I don't know why this organ is so difficult. I don't know. I mean, it controls 
hormones, it controls enzymes. It, you know, it, it, you guys know that. I mean, yeah, it's, uh, it, 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 it's so important, and, and yet so little seems to be known or able to be fixed. There's a lot going on. I think there's still a, a, a mountain to climb to understand, you know, the pancreas as a whole. I, I will tell you this. I, I do know from the standpoint of why don't we know more about these cysts, uh, the disease, pancreatitis, diabetes. I mean, there's a lot of work that's done in diabetes. So you would think like, hey, we would we would get better at that. And I think we have. Um, I think for diabetes out there, I think it's become more manageable. I think we we understand it. Um, you know, and I think medications have gotten better. I, I know there's been, you know, in the last, uh, you know, year, unfortunately, I know insulin costs have gone up pretty dramatically. Um, and you know, that that's, I think just a supply and demand issue, or maybe it's just, you know, free commerce and, you know, we're, we're, uh, we're here in the United States where, you know, you have the ability of some of these companies to charge an exorbitant amount of money for these medications. But to go back to the pancreas, I think the challenging part is that we just don't know enough and there just hasn't been enough money in research over the last, you know, couple decades to understand the disease and understand the organ itself. It is a pretty complex organ, as you know. I mean, it controls a, a ton of functions daily that are vital. And so I think the one thing that um, is really challenging is that it is such a, a multifunctional organ. And the other challenging part is that it kind of is a, is a duct or a central artery for a lot of those internal organs. You've got the bile duct, you've got the liver, you've got the intestines. Um, so it's not like a kidney, which is just kind of standalone that can just be removed and you know you can live without a kidney. You got another one, right? So um, so I think it becomes very, it's a, it's a very complex superhighway, I guess is probably the best analogy to use um, that you know I think science still doesn't understand fully like you know what it does um, you know in terms of you know the, these issues that arrive with cysts and, and with the disease and, and cancer and pancreatitis. You know, the one thing I would say, you know, um, there is a lot happening. So I, I hope the next, you know, five to 10 years, there's this dramatic increase in knowledge and science. And, and hopefully that will happen sooner than later. I say five to 10 years, maybe it'll happen in two to three years. I mean, there's groups like ours and there's so many other groups that are really passionate about this disease and about this organ. So I, I think you're going to see a lot of advances, hopefully in the next couple years that will hopefully allow folks like yourself a better understanding of why this happens and also options moving forward to live a productive and you know a healthy life um, you know, with that. I've got a question for you related to this and in this whole kind of two year journey here, because the, the cyst thing is fairly new. When, when you were diagnosed with having these cysts, uh, did you have pancreatitis? Were you ever diagnosed with pancreatitis uh, through the, through the journey? Yeah. Okay. So never had it about, no, but, I, but, I, but I believe it's, I believe I have it. I mean, just cause I know it gets inflamed when I do certain things. I can yeah. feel it, you know? So whether they want to give me a diagnosis, at this point, it really doesn't matter. They're, they're keyed in on the cysts and that's fine. Yeah. Um, you know, so we're just, we're just, we're just dealing with that. We're just, we're just really monitoring it because there's really no dealing with it. I mean, no, that's all you can do is monitor it right now, unfortunately, for like cysts. Um, but do you, the other thing that I wanted to bring up 
and I know we talked a little bit about this, um, and I know there's a family history of pancreas disease. Um, you have a relative who's currently battling pancreatic cancer, but did yeah, they, my my second cousin, your yeah. second cousin. So is that the only family member in the entire line that's had pancreatic cancer? His brother told me that there's somebody else in the family, but again, we're not really close, which is why I I, I wouldn't even approach him to, to yeah. come on. Um, you know, no, no. He's, they're on the other coast. Yeah. So with that though, did when you were um, brought in for these cysts, was there ever a discussion about genetic testing at all? No. Okay. okay. That might be something you might want to look into as you move forward in this journey, because I know there's a lot going on with genetics. And I ask about the family history because typically when you see certain cancers uh, that run rampant in families and multiple generations, there typically is something, as they say, in the water, but it's in the genes um, that's passed passed through the generations of families that potentially could be something that, you know, is is not necessarily you know, a reason for your diet or your lifestyle, but unfortunately just the genes you were born with. Um, and that's something that I know from a science standpoint that doctors and clinicians and scientists are trying to understand better. And they have done some remarkable things with certain diseases. And I think eventually, you know, that will carry over hopefully to the pancreas and, and you know, we'll see where that goes in the next five to 10 years and hopefully sooner, as I said. I want to shift gears a little bit here because uh, you mentioned it, you know, working out and stuff like that. So I know you mentioned bef- before working out has kind of been like your thing in terms of, you know, getting back into shape when you had gained all this weight. So was this something that coincided with the diabetes or something that like, hey, like I was so out of shape and, you know, you said you were an athlete early on and growing up. So you probably working out then and then, you know, life happens, kids, work, yep. business. And exactly. It's easy to, they, then you have different types of priorities, right? Going to the gym when you have a little one at home or building a business is not necessarily a priority. So from working out, was it because of the diabetes that you realized like, hey, I'm going to get back in the shape and I'm going to try to beat this thing via working out and just has continued to do that? Yeah, there was, there was a couple other things going on too. I mean, there's, there's, a, there's a couple other things I'd like to touch on. Um, one is I, years ago, I was diagnosed with, with uh, low T and, mm. and I changed doctors and I had stopped with the, the medicine. And I, I was sitting here one winter. Uh, it was a bad winter. There wasn't a lot of work. And, I, you know, I'm, I'm saying goodbye to my wife, and she's going to work in the morning, and I'm sitting here, you know, doing the cooking and the cleaning and whatever, because uh, what else are you going to do? Yeah. Um, but when I went back to work, my muscles had muscles had atrophied so much so quickly. Wow. I was in, I was in literal tears. I mean, you can see, if anyone wants to look on my Instagram page, you can see what I look like now. I, I could not lift a bag of cement to, you know, to, 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 to mix it to, to do a shower, shower stall floor. And I'm going, I'm in trouble. I've got too many years left that I have to work, and nobody's going to hire me to do much of anything else, you know, and, and get paid what I get paid when I am working. So that was, um, that was another issue. I brought it up to the doctor. They tested me, uh, this new doctor, and said, no, you're okay. And I said, no, I'm not. Um, now I don't know if you want this in the podcast or not, but basically via the internet, I've, you know, I did my own research and I've gotten, I've gotten testosterone from outside of the country and I take, uh, uh, basically a replacement, uh, type dose. Um, 
uh, I, I'd seen a documentary out of Great Britain, which you cannot find on YouTube anymore. They took it down. Hmm. But basically, these guys that were that, that were diabetic um, found that diabetes and low T can a lot of times they coincide. So when I started taking the testosterone, my sugar, I was struggling at about 150 to 180 in the morning. It was still too high for me. And um, it dropped 20 points within the first week. Just by adding the testosterone. Just by adding testosterone. Again, my, my my key number was, you know, again, they keep lowering the bottom of this, of the chart. They've got it now down around 300, 350. Uh, and I, I think that's, I forget what it is, what the measurement is, but, um, you know, I think, it, you, you know, to be healthy, you need to be between six and a, and a thousand. And, um, and I went to a men's health clinic, just kind of the trial thing. And they said, I don't know how you're regulating this. Um, I said, look, I, if it's too high, I get a headache. I know right away. Yeah. Um, you know, I said, so I've, I've adjusted it down to where it works. And, and they said, you have the exact right amount of free testosterone at 600. So, you know, um, again, that's something that, that people can look into. You got to find a doc. I mean, my doctors, he's just thick-headed about it. Um, I've thought about changing my, 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 uh, my oncologist for diabetes because of it. Um, so, know, that, that, but that, that the hormones is another issue that, that, that plays into all this. So was that the, the low T diagnosis? Was that around the same time as the diabetes, John, or was it after? Or yeah, pre? it was. It, it, it probably was. Um, it probably was. It was probably. Uh, I think it was around 2013. So no, it was after. Huh. But um, but it was before I went to this new doctor, and and, and I used the gel, and I don't like the gel. Uh, um, I'm taking a shot. Yeah. Um, I, I don't want to do the pellets. Um, the gel gets all over the, you know, it, it, depending on how you sleep, your, your wife ends up getting strong <laughs> because the stuff, you know, it comes off, you sweat at night. Now, yeah. it's, now it's on the sheets. It's, you know, um, it, you just, it, it, it's in your clothes. It's, it's, yeah. uh, it's not the most efficient delivery system in my opinion. So taking I mean, the it, shots it, of testosterone have, uh, have dramatically helped with the situation. You know, going to the gym, you know, it, muscles, muscles burn sugar. I mean, yeah. you know, going to the gym, uh, I do a warm up, I do weightlifting, then I do, you know, anywhere from 10 to eh, 15, 20 minutes of cardio at the back end, and then I'm out. It takes me between an hour and a half and two hours when I go. I try to go three or four times a week. Um, but, it, but it, you know, if I don't go, it's not, my sugar numbers will creep up slow. If I don't go and eat badly, they creep up really quick. <laughs> yeah. But like, like today, my, my sugar, this was actually a really good day. It was 95. Usually I'm in the one teens, one twenty, um, in the morning. Uh, I usually don't monitor all day cause I just, I don't, I eat so little, um, so few things that would spike my sugar. Now I know I don't have to yeah. I'll be, be measuring four times a day. But at one time I was measuring four times a day and, you know, two hours after you eat and ha- what, how did, how did my body react and all that stuff. Well, I basically live the life of a, of, a, of a bodybuilder who doesn't eat carbs and sugar. Um, it's fascinating. That, that's kind of what's worked for me. It's fascinating. You um, know? I mean, the, the diet thing and the workout, I mean, you know, we've had people that are battling pancreatic cancer that have become diabetic, that have stuck to working out 
you know, not probably at the volume. Um, but you know, I, I think that is so critical, um, you know, to a healthy lifestyle, you know, and, and, you know, diet does play a big key into all of this, but then having some sort of physical activity is just critical. And, and, you know, we've had people on that have, you know, we had a guy, um, you know, who was on, who was a younger guy who was in his mid forties, but he was like a professional bodybuilder and that bodybuilding, um, experience that he had and, you know, the nutrition and, and just really aided his fight, uh, when he was fighting. And so, um, it's just so critical. And I, I think that's something, I mean, you know, life does get, life comes at us, you know, and, and priorities change, but I think, you know, diet and, living a healthy lifestyle by working out. And we're not, I, I guess I'm, I'm not saying that everyone has to go join Gold's Gym no. or Planet Fitness, but, you know, do something. And, and naturally I think, you know, diet is something that is so simple um, and it's more choice, you know, in terms of, you know, um, you know, forcing you to, I, I think it's, it, it's easy to do, but easier not to do, as I always say, right? Eating healthy is an easy thing to do, um, but it's also easier not to, John. I'm going to tell you right now, you win the war on your diet at the grocery store. Yeah. If you don't bring it home, you can't eat it. Correct. You know, if you don't bring home the processed food, the sugary food, the carby food, when you get, when 11 o'clock hits and you're walking away from your, your reruns of Star Trek or whatever <laughs> you watch, and you're crossing past the refrigerator, there's not a half gallon of ice cream in there to say, hey, look, just a couple spoons. Next thing you know, you've eaten half of it. But <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, it's like, it's like, it's like a crack addict and crack. And for some reason, you know, the other, there's other key things I could tell you, like don't eat late. I mean, that's key. I mean, I try not to eat after six or seven. Um, and I do go for that intermittent fasting. That's really helped quite a bit in getting the numbers down. Um, I could put you guys, uh, your guys on to, um, Oh, you know, and, and just kind of trying to figure out what's going on and, and how the body works. Uh, uh, on YouTube, there's a guy, Dr. Joel Wallach. Uh -huh. um, he was a veterinarian who became a, um, a doctor. Um, and I, I was on a farm for a while, and I knew what he was, I believed what he was saying was true. Is basically, uh, if, you, if you run a farm, you don't have health care for cows or sheep or pigs. What you do is you nutrify those animals so they don't get sick. And I, I, we had sheep on our farm, and there's a vitamin and mineral package for every animal on the farm except one, and that's the human. Hmm. If you're, it, 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 you can't afford to have a, a, a flock uh, or a herd of malnutrished animals. And this is kind of going to go into my theory about where I really believe cancer comes from. Um, and I think they've known since the 20s. There's a family called the Gershwins. There's a Gershwin Institute in Mexico. And, uh, you know, sometimes it's, they basically said the same thing that I believe is that if you were trying to mix cement or bake a cake and you left out a key ingredient, what do you have? Crap. You have something that's malformed. You yeah. don't have a cake yeah. or you don't have cement that will yeah. hold. When, so when you, when, when you don't have a proper diet or a diet that includes things that your body shouldn't have, it doesn't recognize you're, you're introducing something that's going to cause malformed cells. Now pollution and other things, of course, will play into that. Um, yeah, one of the main, the other main things, and again, Wallach brings this up, uh, is the lack of trace minerals. Um, one of the, one of the key things with diabetes is it's actually a disease of demineralization. Now, if you think about being an athlete and then being a contractor, what do you do? You sweat. 
Uh, and and if you're not re-nutrifying, you're not just sweating out salt water. You're, there's also, minerals, there's also yeah. minerals coming with that. And if you don't put them back, and I wasn't, I mean, I, I, I wasn't for a long time. And, uh, you know, all of a sudden you've got a problem. And what it does is it pulls it from your bones. It'll pull the chromium and vanadium and calcium uh, and whatever else you need, whatever else you're short of. It'll pull it from your bones until you're in trouble. Um, hmm. uh, I, I do use it. Uh, Wallach's got a line of, of vitamins that he sells. Uh, they're called Longevity, and there's a there's a vitamin package, and there's a there, and a mineral. There's there's two different canisters. Um, they, you can get a starter pack. They're about eighty bucks, and I, I go through one one or one and change a month because it's based on weight. Dosage is based on weight, which is something else that I thought was very interesting. You know, per hundred pounds of weight, use one scoop of these powders, um, and you don't take them together because uh, you should take them at least two hours apart. Because the the, the the one there's certain minerals that will bind with the minerals in the other and, and will make them render them ineffective. Um, I, he also sells a separate supplement for for uh, sugar uh, called Sweeties. And again, I got I got no vested interest in this. I'm just trying to help anybody well, no, I can with this. So I wanted to ask you chromium, chromium and vanadium, um, which is the, you know, probably the two key things that that, that a diabetic is short on. Uh, Magnesium is another one. Um, I think that if, if you might, you might want to go for a magnesium supplement. I found that that also helped me with sugar and stuff. Um, but, but the, uh, those sweeties that chromium vanadium package that he has, and again, none of his stuff is cheap. Uh, I hate to say it, it, you're paying for, you're paying Cadillac prices. You know, you're, you're paying for the, for the, the Lexus. You just are. Um, but it's either that or be unhealthy. Um, uh, yeah. pay for, you know, if I can afford it, I do. I mean, there are times when times are tight and you say, eh, you know, what else can I do without, um, but that they've, that's been a help. The, Ger, the Gershwins, the, the Gershwins came up with the theory that, that basically now they're more of a vegetarian, uh, and I'm not a big believer in all vegetarian. I use meat protein and animal protein. I don't, um, I don't, I don't. I, but I believe your diet should skew heavy veg, vegetable yes, yes. and you know minor in, uh, in in your in your meat proteins and, and things like that. So, uh, and again, it seems it seems to be working, but the numbers keep getting better. Um, the other, the other supplement that I take that he talks about that we're short of when it comes to cancer in a lot of cases is selenium. Um, uh, it, it's, it's another trace mineral that, you know, uh, usually get from plants. Most of us are short. Uh, a lot of the soils are depleted. Um, you know, uh, it, 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 uh, you know, again, being on a farm and, and seeing the bigger farms out West, they, they basically put the only three things they put back on the field are nitrogen, phosphorus, and, uh, and PK. Nitrogen, phosphorus, and potassium, um, which will make a plant look nice and green. But if you listen to like what the Gershwin say, you need like 52 or 54 minerals in the soil for a plant to be healthy and able to defend itself against disease. We don't do that. We spray them with Roundup or we make them pest resistant. You know, now we're doing with the GMOs. And that's yeah. a whole other bowl of we probably won't get into. But um, in other words, instead of making the plants healthy, what we're doing is we're making them look good. And, and they don't have the nutrition. And there's been studies that the, the nutrition in the stuff we're eating today doesn't rival what it was in the, in the, in the 40s and 50s and before. Uh, it's just, it's not all there. So even though, you, you know, you eat your vegetables, you, you, I, still, I still believe in supplementing very heavily. So on that note then, John, so you're taking the tea shots, you have this vitamin pack from uh, Dr. Wallach, and then you're also including magnesium and um, selenium. So those are the supplements that you're adding to your diet 
along with just yep. the, the clean foods that you're eating and your diet. Yeah, there's a corner. Let's see if you can see the corner there. Uh, all the stuff. I mean, oh, yeah. it's, it's just, I mean, some of that, some of that's bodybuilding, you know. Yeah. So do you, well, I got a question for you. So with the lifting, so you mentioned like the protein. So are you doing like a whey, are you doing shakes like with whey proteins or any type of proteins like uh, uh, amino acids or anything like that? Are you taking anything else? Some of that. Yep. Some of that. Not a lot of it. Not a lot of the amino. I mean, uh, you know, a lot of the amino acids are actually in your food. Um, You got to, you know, you can can get sold every bill of goods. And even though I'm taking expensive vitamins, you know, at some point, if you, at some point, you have to say, okay, there's a I mean, I, I use apple cider vinegar. That's another thing I Correct. use for, yeah. you know, um, to deal with everything. I, I'll take you know, two, two to four teaspoons in a glass of water before I go to bed. Yeah. My stomach will gurgle until I fall asleep. But, you know, again, you wake up and your sugar number is 10 points lower than if you didn't. And if I get upstairs and I realize I haven't done it, I'm like, ah, damn it. <laughs> yeah. You know. Uh, How has, I know we, we've talked about a lot about just, you know, what you've done from, you know, being diagnosed diabetic, change your lifestyle, the supplements, working out, but how has your life changed now that you know that you have a pancreas loaded with cysts, as you've been told? Uh, I guess, I guess huh. this is going to be kind of a face thing. You know, you can let that information eat you up. And, and, and at times it does, you know, you lay in bed in the middle of the night and you don't feel great. And, you know, uh, one of the things that I, I, I just recently heard was that um, pancreatic disease can cause depression. Uh, do I fight with it? Yeah, probably. Uh, I mean, to be quite honest, it's, I'm not suicidal or anything, but there are days, you, you know, the, the blues, whatever you want to call it. And you say, yeah, you know, you wonder, um, you get nervous, you wonder about your future, how long you're going to be here again for the family and that kind of stuff. So that's, that's, that's part of it. The other part is just, you know, trusting God at some point you have to, because we're not in control of this thing. I mean, you do the best you can, you know, I, I pound, I, I grind away from for information. Uh, I've tried to learn as much as I can. Um, some things make sense. Some things don't, um, you know, some of it, a lot of trial and error, um, doctors, in my opinion, are, are you know, you've got to, you've really got to be your health advocate. Um, so uh, how, how you know uh, the other the other thing is uh, probably the whole disease thing has 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 slowed me down. I mean, um, I remember my father at my, at my age having more energy and able to, to do more. But you know, um, again, it, you just you, you, all you can do is the best you can do. Um, I don't know if I answered your question or not. No, it, it's a. Uh... It's your answer. So I think you answered it perfectly, you know, John. And I, I think, you know, I've been taking notes here the whole time and I've written a lot down about your story here and your, and your plight and your journey and what you've been through. And, and I just have to say that, uh, you know, I have something here that just says that you have to be, and you've said this multiple times, your biggest advocate. And when we talk about advocating for oneself, that doesn't necessarily mean, and for our listeners at home, I hopefully they see this in this podcast episode, is not just saying, hey, I don't think I feel right, I need further testing, but you have become your biggest advocate in learning and finding out all these vitamins and all these other things that are helping you live the life you live and, and hopefully beating this thing. So, you know, advocating does, doesn't mean like speaking up like, Hey, you know, I, I don't think this is right, but 
also doing your research and, you know, I mean, I know it's frustrating. Like these are the things that I think as a, as a whole in the, in a society, like we wish we just go to the doctor and the doctor gives us all this information, but folks, that's not the way the system is made. Unfortunately. Well, the, 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 there's, there's a couple problems I, I see with the system. One is, uh, I've been told multiple times from multiple sources, most doctors don't get more than four hours of nutritional uh, education. That, that's sad. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and, and the, uh, the other thing is, and, I, and God, this is going to sound jaded, but there's no money in healthy people. There's no money in dead people. There's only money in chronically ill. Chronic ill, yeah. Yeah. And, and unfortunately, that's, that's, God, I hate to say, and I don't think, I don't think our individual doctors think this. I, I, I think maybe, God, I hate to say evil corporations because I'm, I'm a capitalist at heart. <laughs> but, but I mean, you know, do, you know, do they, do, do they want us to get better? I mean, uh, the hospital down the road from my house has gotten bigger and glitzier over the course of my lifetime. And I used to work there. Yeah. Um, you know, and you say, this is a, not a testimony to success. This is a testimony to failure. There's more beds and more sick people and more specialists. And, and, and why, you know, wh why, you know, again, Wallach stuff will clear up a lot of the why, um, because he, he talks about why the old timers were living into their eighties and nineties and we're getting sick. Well, we're getting sick younger and younger. Yeah. Um, and, and it really is a nutritional thing. I mean, uh, one of the best things he said, and it was true. I mean, it was true. Of my grandparents, well, they ate of their own garden. Okay. What do they put in the garden? Well, you know, before manure. Um, heating, heating oil and stuff, they put, they put wood ash in. Yeah. Wood ash has, has the trace minerals from whatever tree you burned or whatever, you know, so, you know, and, and of course, grandpa would say, if you're going deep, deep fish and bring back the fish heads and the guts, you know, cause yeah. you're all, you know, it didn't matter. Seaweed, anything. Yeah. Um, you know, anything that would decompose and would, and would add to that. And, and both my grandparents lived to 89 yeah. and they were relatively healthy into the last 10 years. So between 70 and 80, they had some maladies, but you know, we're not doing that. I mean, I'm looking at my contractor friends, knees, hips, you know, uh, joint replacements. And, um, I seem to be skating and I'm a guy who's been on his knees at 275 pounds for years. And somehow I've been able to get by without doing any of that. Um, you know, we're finding cancer in kids. I don't know about you, but I'm, I'm, I'm 58 years old. And in the sixties, you never heard about a kid dying of cancer. You know, but now, every once in a while, you know, every time, I'm not going to say every time you turn around, but, you know, look at St. Jude's Hospital. Uh -huh. I mean, it's loaded with kids with cancer. That's a crime. That's a crime. That shouldn't be. Yeah, I don't think, um, you know, I think we've got to get really good at managing all these diseases. I, I think the, the long game is to become better at managing it. Um, I don't think we'll ever eliminate it because it's such a big business. Uh, I mean, no. I think people that say like, Hey, we're, you know, we're going to eliminate all cancers. That's kind of a narrow mindedness or, you know, no, not, no, not I'm necessarily. Not, I'm, not, I'm not saying that. But no, I, but I, I think I we've got to become. What I, am, what I am saying is that I really believe that, that, that health comes from nutrition and that's the key. And the, and the more you keep your foot in that, the less time you're going to spend with the doctor's. I mean, couldn't agree with you more, John. And, and that's such powerful advice for those listening, because, uh, as I said, you know, I think you stating that you became your biggest advocate is not just raising your hand that you don't feel good, but really 
doing your research and realizing, you know, I mean, unfortunately you had to have a diagnosis of diabetes uh, later in life to, to do that. But, um, you know, as we said, life happens and there's, and hindsight's always twenty twenty. So it's easy to look back and say like, you know, this reason, that reason and, and point blame to it. But, you know, knowledge is power. And that's something that hopefully our audience listening at home is, is definitely taking to heart. So John, I want to thank you for being a guest on our podcast and sharing your story of how you've become your biggest advocate and learning about, you know, diabetes and how to treat that and working out and with all the supplements. Um, and as we say here on the project purple podcast, that's a wrap of another episode of the project purple podcast. Thank you for joining and listening. Thank you, John, for being a guest. And if you like what you've heard today, please share this episode with friends of this important message of how to be your biggest advocate, how to learn from it and how to overcome chronic illness and disease. Thanks for listening. Goodbye.